0: Hi, I'm Meenika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail.
1: We know people that pain management is Tylenol. And Tylenol, for most of us, seems like not an excessive expense. But, you know, we've had conversations with people who choose Tylenol or food.
0: That's Michelle Hewitt. She's co-chair of the organization Disability Without Poverty, and she's talking about a struggle that many people with disabilities face. In Canada, one in every four people with a disability are low-income, according to Statistics Canada. That's why Michelle and other advocates are calling for the creation of the Canada Disability Benefit. A federal bill that would have helped create this died when the election was called last year, when April's federal budget came out, the Canada disability benefit wasn't mentioned. But on May 26th, Carla Qualtro, Canada's Minister of Employment, Workforce Development, and Disability Inclusion, said the Liberal government plans to table the legislation again before the end of June. If that happens, it's good news for advocates like Michelle Hewitt. Today on the show... Michelle will walk us through why this bill is needed and why it's important to hear from the disability community about the hidden costs of accessibility. This is The Decibel. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me to be with you. You're the co-chair
0: of an organization called Disability Without Poverty.
1: What is the goal of this organization? Our goal is quite simply to eliminate disability poverty for disabled people living in Canada. Um, It's a massive goal. It's not something that's going to be achieved easily or quickly. And so our first goal is to get something called the Canada Disability Benefit um, passed through legislation and established so that it is paid into the pockets of disabled people as quickly as possible.
0: Mm and we will definitely get to that legislation. But, but first, I wanna ask you about something that often comes up in conversations about about disabilities and, and it's something called the spoon theory. Uh, yes. Can, can you tell us, yeah, what is, what is the spoon theory,
1: Michelle? Yeah, so I'm a woman with multiple sclerosis and, and you know my MS is aggressive and advanced and so I am one of the people that the spoon theory really applies to on a daily basis. So let's imagine that to get through our day, we all have a number of spoons, but everything that we do costs us spoons. So somebody who's not disabled may have a hundred spoons in the day. Having a shower may cost them one spoon. Getting dressed may not even cost them a spoon. Um Disabled people may start the day with eight spoons or four and... Getting out of bed and getting dressed may take, you know, two or three of those spoons. And so Mm. that we have very little energy left to do anything else in the day. So I'm somebody that's only out of bed for about six or seven hours a day because my spoons get used up quite quickly. But to put that in the context of disabled people who live in poverty A lot of their spoons are used every day on dealing with that, dealing with the effects of of poverty. So the substandard housing they may be in, um, thinking of paying for bills, how they're going to access medical treatment, um, all of the things that that cause stress and take up spoons.
0: So this is the spoon theory is really like a representation, I guess, of how much energy it can it can take to do normal tasks. And for someone who's got just it just takes more energy, essentially, to do kind of the standard things that some of us might not necessarily think about Then
1: Absolutely. And as I say, based on our disabilities as disabled people, everybody will start the day with a different number of spoons. Right. It's a a different amount of capacity to get through that day.
0: Hmm. So, a few months back on the podcast, uh, in December, actually, we had a community organizer and an author. His name was L. Edmansky. He spoke on the podcast. And he was talking about something called a Canadian disability benefit. At Disability Without Poverty, we use the 40% number. We've been doing some poking around. <laughs> with Stats Canada and with the federal public service. And uh, that leads us to believe that it could actually reduce poverty overall in Canada by as much as 50%. So yeah, that 40 to 50%, it's astounding, isn't it?
1: What does that mean? What is that? So back in September, 2020, the throne speech announced that there was going to be a Canada disability benefit modelled on the Guaranteed Income Supplement that goes to seniors who are low income. But a lot for a lot of people, those benefits are provincial and they're different in every province. And all of them are below the poverty line. Mm. For example, you're in Ontario, ODSP is uh, $1,169 a month. Poverty line in Toronto is over $2,000 a month. So this benefit is to bridge that gap.
0: And this would be a federal benefit then? Is that right? A federal
1: benefit that acts as a supplement. So our hope would be that that would at least lift lift disabled people to the poverty line. Following on from that, um, the government backed that up by um, putting aside money for consultations in the spring budget of 2021 And we got as far as a bill, Bill C-35, that was tabled in June of 2021. Now Mm. we all know what happened just after that. An election was called. So this Bill C-35
0: that was tabled and then basically disappeared when the election happened. What was in that bill specifically that you wanted to see?
1: Well, that bill was a framework bill. So, it didn't have a massive amount of details, but it set up the legislative pieces that would allow the government to move forward. Importantly for disabled people, the preamble talked about it being built on the principles of nothing about us without us, which is, you know, the mantra of disabled people worldwide. So that this They were setting out the standard that this was a bill that was going to be designed and implemented with the cooperation and the um, consultation of disabled people in a meaningful way. So that part was important, but when it comes to details, you know, who gets it, how much, how often, all of those pieces that are crucial, um, Mm -hmm those are being left to be developed in regulations.
0: If you're living below the poverty line, how much of an effect does that have on essentially the spoons that you would have for a day?
1: So the spoons that you have in that day um, are used up pretty quickly when the stress of dealing with poverty is in place. So for example, we know people that pain management is Tylenol. And to be able to for Tylenol for most of us seems like not an excessive expense. But, you know, we've had conversations with people who choose Tylenol or food, right? So it's not just the, deci- the, the actual action, it's the decision that goes into that. Am I going to have healthy food to eat because You know, if you don't have enough and you don't have healthy food, then your body and your brain isn't in a good place to deal with all the other challenges that you're dealing with. So those spoons start to disappear quite quickly. You know, we see our bodies as having the capacity to live those lives in the ways that we want it to be lived. However, our bodies are vulnerable, right? And the vulnerabilities are highlighted when our disability intersects with other things um, and poverty is a major major one of those that uh, we also know that being disabled simply costs more than not being disabled hmm.
0: Some people might say because everything is costing so much more these days, there are a lot of competing priorities for the government to spend money on. What would you say to someone to, about why we need to, to spend money in this way as, as opposed to
1: something else? So here's, here's the thing. If you give disabled people who are living in abject poverty money – what are they going to do with it? They're going to spend it. So every dollar that goes back, that goes into the hands of disabled people is going to be spent immediately on lodging and food and all of those sorts of things. So putting money into the hands of disabled people is actually supporting our economy because it's the money is going straight back into it. It's supporting local businesses because, you know, we often can't travel around our communities very much. And so we like to support the places that are closest to us. And so therefore it means that we're just, you know, we're continuing that cycle of the economy of, of money being fed back into it. Disabled people contribute to our society in so many ways and simply do not deserve to live in these levels of abject poverty.
0: What benefits are available to Canadians right now? So we can break it down, I guess, federal level and then provincial level. Let's start with the federal. What's, what's, what's out there right now?
1: Right. So there is something called the disability tax credit, um, which is an, an addition to your personal tax code, your personal tax limit. Unfortunately, you have to earn money to be able to get that back so it's not refundable so for people living in poverty that's not necessarily for those so that but that is one program that we have canada pension plan disability so again that's something that um, if you acquired your disability you are more likely to be able to access that because you have paid into it right you've paid your cpp contributions the maximum that of that pays out at the moment is roughly $1,400 a month, and the average is around $1,000. So, you know, Canada has 52 poverty lines at the moment because of the way we measure things based on communities. Most of our metropolitan c- cities, that poverty line is just over $2,000. Mm. The majority of disabled people who get a benefit Receive it from their province or territory. In most provinces and territories, there is an allowance that is called different names, but is a disability allowance, as I've already mentioned. ODSP eleven sixty nine, and I'm sure those of you living in Ontario, I hope you're hearing a lot about that at the moment because you're in election time, and mm. you know we're hoping that that things happen there. I'm in B.C. It's 13.58 and 50 cents. The Atlantic provinces don't actually have separate disability benefits. People receive the same welfare assistance, but not an additional amount for disability.
0: So basically, yeah, across the board is what we're seeing is these amounts are significantly lower than than the poverty line. Significantly this is obviously going to change across the country, but how much would people need in order to live comfortably? Like if this legislation were to go through and this were to be um, a a thing that we could actually kind of work from, is there an amount or a number where we could start?
1: You know, I find this really hard to talk about because we're just trying to get people to the poverty line. And people who live at the poverty line, certainly, you know, there's no rainbows and lollipops going on at the poverty line. So we have people in abject poverty, right? And we have, you know, 1.4 million Canadians living like that. And and that's on 2017 numbers. And you can guarantee that that number is significantly higher now having gone through the pandemic, right? So the amount that, you know, that we would we'll talk about uh, that for people to be able to live comfortably is is so far out there that it's important for us to just get this benefit moving and to get this started and to explain just the depth of poverty and how much we do need this to change. There are so many other pieces. Like eligibility, who's who's going to get this? Who's going to be eligible for it? And we know there's a very simple calculation: number of people that get the benefit times the num- the amount of the benefit equals the budget. So is this going to start with the bu- the government setting a budget and then work backwards? Mm. So there are complicated conversations that disabled people want to have with the government about the content of this bill eligibility is one of them another one is how or if it's means tested so for example there's a you know something that we call individualization or the or the or the right to to love so people currently it From both sides, people currently choose to live separately from their loved ones because when they come together, they get means tested as a couple and their provincial benefits and services may decrease. You know, there are complex issues here that need to be sorted out alongside how much it's going to to be and what people need to live on.
0: Let's turn to inflation. Inflation has been a big topic for everyone for the last few months uh, because everything is getting more expensive across the board. How is this affecting people in the disabled community specifically, though, in, in ways that it might not affect other people?
1: Our benefits are so far behind and they're not index-linked. So, you know, no increases as a as just a as regular matter of course – Means that that money just diminishes every day. Hmm. Aside from that, you know, housing is such a huge issue and the ability to find somewhere that meets your needs as a disabled person. If you're in a wheelchair, or you have mobility challenges that, uh, you know, that um, you need to have a certain place that you live or that you need to be closer to the resources that because You know, you don't drive. And certainly with the price of gas, you can't afford to drive. So the domino effect of poverty for disabled people is that all of the things that we access that were hard to access in the first place now become even more difficult.
0: Just lastly here, Michelle, um, you, you obviously are doing a lot of a lot of work on this front. Uh do you find it a balance to to make sure that you are, I guess, you know, rationing out your spoons accordingly to make sure that you're taking care of yourself at the same time as you're doing all of all of this work, which does take I mean, this is this is hard work. It's a lot of energy.
1: Yeah, as I mentioned to you, I'm only out of bed six or seven hours a day. I was a school principal and when that career was brought to an end by MS, I I I really had to think about how i can use the small amount of time i i have in the, in the day and i've you know i've been an advocate i this i've been disabled for 14 years now and i've i've been an advocate for probably you know one way or another for the last 10 years and um, i recognize i approach you know my life with a certain amount of privilege in as a as an educated white woman, it allows me to talk to people like you to represent the, the views of others who don't necessarily get to explain how their life is, is, is going for them. But yeah, I, it, I have very few spoons in a day and uh, I'm using a, a few of them right now as I talk to you.
0: Well, Michelle, thank you so much for taking the time to to be here and and to to speak with me.
1: And I've appreciated it so much. Thank you very much.
0: When we reached out to the Ministry of Employment, Workforce Development and Disability Inclusion, they sent us a statement which said in part that Minister Qualtro is, quote, Working with the provinces and territories to ensure that the Canada Disability Benefit will increase the monthly income of Canadians with disabilities living below the poverty line and not negatively impact entitlement to other programs and services. That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. This episode was produced by Emily McPhail. Our producers are Madeline White, Cheryl Sutherland, and Rachel Levy-McLaughlin. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.